0: And the tight end rumbles in for
1: the touchdown! Here's Watson now, blockers in front, lowers the shoulder and in! Throws on the run, touchdown! Unbelievable! And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. We're back after the bye week. The 1-6 Texans are back with the addition of only one draft pick for their name, in a week where they prepare to face a rookie on his first ever start. It's not going to be that interesting, but we've still got some games to play. And joining me this week to break it down is Matt Weston from the Battle Red blog and Battle Red radio podcast. Matt, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing great today. How about yourself?
1: Yeah, all right. Not too bad. Um, it's been. A, I suppose it's probably been a day that's been uh, impacted by a, a, a political news more than uh, anything else. But just as we're about to come on, we've seen uh, the Texans are signing Josh McKinnon from the Eagles practice squad to the active roster. What do you make of it?
0: Yeah, uh, It seems kind of weird. I don't know. They have Agent McCarron as the backup. And, you know, McCarron as the backup is kind of like the typical Bill O'Brien sort of quarterback where, you know, McCarran definitely would have been a guy O'Brien would have liked to at least like seem to be a starting quarterback, kind of like Brian Hoyer, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, Ryan Mallett's sort or of a mold, and uh, so I don't understand the need to sign a backup like this. It really, unless there's something up with McCarran, you can't back up at all, um, or they just want some more veteran leadership here. But I really, I really can't make any sense of it on why they would sign him and and the, why they made the decision to do so.
1: Yeah, I, I read a just a quick uh, tweet there. I think it was from Albert Breer, and he was saying that. It's uh, it's closer. It's closer at home. It's a two-hour drive from. I think, and he can um, obviously he went to Sam Houston State, and he's he's kind of he can go and watch his uh, two sons play high school. I mean, he's been in the league as long as the Texans, mm-hmm. and I think this is is his twelfth team. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it seems. Are they, I mean, are they going to carry three three quarterbacks at the expense of another position? I'm not quite sure, but I mean, I I go back to when you watched them on. Uh, all or nothing um, on Amazon with with the Eagles. And I thought he came across really well. And, you know, and everybody kind of pitches him to be a future NFL coach. So, you know, if he's only here for eight weeks, there might be a longer term play to ask him to try and be on the staff, you know, next year. Because I think most coaches would probably want him around. And if he's local, that maybe suits him as well. Um, And he's probably got a role to play to help Deshaun maybe work out some of the kinks in his game, possibly, you know, through the final nine weeks.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's something like for a mentoring for Deshaun. Maybe he reached out to Houston and said, like, you know, I, I want to play. I, I'm fine to be on the practice squad. Um, that's where I'm at here in Philadelphia as well, too. And they have Jalen. So if anything happens, I'm not going to play here. And maybe he just wanted to, you know, find a different spot and just be closer to home and still sit the practice squad and, you know, could take this as a chance to, you know, kind of mentor and help you know, Deshaun with whatever else um, the coaching staff could kind of put on his plate. But, yeah, you know, by you saying about the fact that he's from Sam Houston State, it may just be like, you know, a local thing where he reached out to Houston, trying to find someplace else to be um, closer to Houston, whenever and still set a practice squad somewhere. But as far as like, you know, playing week in and week out or even seeing the field at all, um, a lot of even worse things that have already happened in this 2020 NFL season for the Texans would have to occur for uh, McCown to play at all whatsoever.
1: Yeah, and I wonder, do you keep McCarran around? Is that I mean, I know the savings wouldn't be huge, but it's not a small contract. he's on do you keep him around and maybe and maybe you know scrape some savings together for next year? I don't know if that's something they do. It just they've not often kept apart from uh, special teams ace. What was his name again? I've lost. I forgot his name. But uh, they kept three quarterbacks on the uh, on the roster. It's been a while since they've done that.
0: Yeah, I think I guess it was probably PJ wasn't that Pete uh, whatever Daniel or whatever his name was. I guess. BJ Daniel, I think it was. Uh, But yeah, maybe that's the case as well, too, because McCarron is a free agent next year. And maybe they're looking at McCown being a possible backup next year. But I mean, even then, like McCown was bad in Philadelphia last year. And uh, it's like, you know, you always want to at least have some sort of competency at the backup quarterback position. So a quarterback injury doesn't completely derail your season um, no matter what. But I don't know. I can't, I I think this is just kind of like a cute story. And something that will probably never have any impact on the actual team, though, at all.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think you're well, yeah. Obviously, we don't want him to see the field. Hopefully, the, the off the field impact is whats is what they've got him in for. And, um, but yeah, it's an interesting. A guy that's been around the league this long, he just, you know, there's certain football guys I think they get written, getting their name written into uh, coaching staff jobs before they've even, um, they've even hung it up. But yeah, yeah, probably a small, a small story. Um, of the over the bye week Matt do you, do you sit and watch it I know you do a lot of stuff around the league for battle red blog do you, do you does it feel like a week away from it or does it kind of just bring home the fact that we're one in the six right now and you know there's probably a lot of other teams within the same conditions you know putting together reasonably good performance and complementary football with you know arguably similar similar levels of talent and offense particularly uh, around the league on Sunday.
0: Yeah, it's been I don't know. It's been kind of weird this year because you know after going 0 four and losing that game to you know Minnesota and Pittsburgh that are about two games that they they you know probably should have won. Um, the Pittsburgh game, of course, their own offensive play calling really destroyed them in that one. And then against Minnesota, their offensive play calling really destroyed them. And they had that one throw up play to you know Will Fuller that you know, could possibly tie the game. And uh, Fuller, of course, you know drops the catch that DeAndre Hopkins has made. You know probably 25 times when he was in Houston or whatever. And so, like, after that 0-4 start, like, you know, the season's been kind of over from that point. Um, a lot of the film stuff I like to do for, you know, the team, I didn't really get a chance to do write that much of this year because it's like, well, am I going to sit here and talk about how Lonnie Johnson Jr. is, you know, they don't have a plan at all for him or why Jacob Martin is to rush to the next year instead of the interior. And so I mainly been focusing my time on that 10 things. Um, I liked about, you know, Week X or whatever and watching the entire league as a whole. And, you know, watching Houston, watching the film and keeping up to him, but just not devoting as much time to kind of like the film room stuff from there and that sort of thing. But I, I do think, like, even though we're at the bye, you know, for the rest of the year, there still is a lot of, like, really fun and, I guess, like, interesting things to watch for for this team. And really the biggest thing, you know, for especially for this game, to this weekend, is the Deshaun, Deshaun Watson operating out of empty spreads and shotgun sets um, with four wide receivers because that's the future of this franchise. And that's what the next good Texans team is going to be built around more spread offenses and uh, and spread passing attacks and uh, and operating from those sort of circumstances for Watson. And this week they're playing against, you know, the worst pass defense in football. So it's another kind of like practice sort of game for Watson to be able to continue to um, have success in that sort of offense.
1: Yeah, because I think if, you know, when you're thinking back on the games, I, I, I just go back to that sort of two drives they put together at the end of the Pittsburgh one. You, you see them, you know, and in in, okay, you know, on another day, if there isn't those turnovers, you think, you know, Baltimore will probably win that game um, on Sunday. But they're sitting undefeated. And actually, of all the defeats, I think Pittsburgh's the one that kind of st- sticks in my memory. I mean, there's probably been three out of the first seven that you think yeah, could have easily gone another way. And obviously, the Pittsburgh one, you, know, you don't put a point up in the second half. You don't win the ball game. But if, for me, it was... It was a case of that, you know, they looked so good. And, you know, you talked about the empty sets there. And, you know, they've gone to that at times in this season and looked so effective. And then to to move away from that, you know, I know they didn't have the ball and they didn't, you know, they, I think they had their three, three, three and outs and they had the ball and once it was an interception, I think. And that was it, you know, in the second mm-hmm. half against Pittsburgh. Didn't put a point on the scoreboard. But of all the games when we've actually looked good, you know, for multiple drives was against the only undefeated team in the, in the, uh, in the league. And, you know, and you saw JJ in the press conference today saying, you know, I'm not looking for a rebuild and, you know, there is points where you think, well, certainly from a defensive point of view, you you're going to have any choice, mm-hmm. but from an offensive standpoint, it feels like, you know, it might not need a huge amount to, to, to move it forward next season, in the positive direction, but that's obviously if you can get the defensive balance, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I do think, like, this team can be fixed in a year to be like a—by fixed, I mean, like, be a playoff team, especially the creation of the seven seed, where, you know, if Watson plays top five quarterback level and they actually have, like, a top ten offense or, like, a top five offense, no matter how bad the defense is, they just, you know, force enough turnovers or whatever um, and get by, you know, they, they have they have the chance to be able to be good in a year— but it's going to take a lot more than a head coaching decision for that to occur. They're going to have to hit all their picks or not all their picks, but they're to have to find you know rookies to contribute next year, even without their first two picks next year. Um, they're going to have to find like those bargain bin free agent signings that they've struggled to find as they've overpaid for talent that, you know, isn't worth what they paid for um, the previous two seasons with O'Brien. And so like, if they do those sort of things, like they can be like a playoff sort of team, but you know, this idea of winning a championship that JJ Watts talking about, like Houston, they this was supposed to be the team built to be a championship team. And Bill O'Brien made, you know, a bunch of bad decisions that put them in the spot they're in now. And so like if that's what he wants, like he's in the wrong, you know, city for that for you know, at least next year and who knows what how, m- how many changes they can make by um, you know two thousand twenty two. And so it is kind of frustrating to hear that from like I, I could imagine like the frustration you know, Watt has right now for this season, the way things turned out and how O'Brien has managed his team. But, um, but if he feels that way, like this probably isn't the best you know, roster and franchise for him you know, to be on for you know the rest of this season, let alone next season.
1: Yeah, I noticed he also touched on as well. He said, you know, you shouldn't be gearing up to, I'm paraphrasing, but you shouldn't be gearing up to, you know, win a playoff game or win a couple of playoff games. And I think there's been a number of comments he's made that were obviously directed at O'Brien. I think, you know, that felt like another one to add to the list there because, you know, I think that's probably his frustration Um, and you know and you've seen other players in the past you know Andrew Johnson you know and just kind of point out the fact that you've got guys on the roster taking up taking up space and uh, you know and you know I've talked about I think probably everybody that's you know puts out commentary on the Texans I've talked about the disastrous 18 months there's so much dead weight on the roster Mm -hmm. you know we don't need to go over that because everyone knows that Mm -hmm. Um, you know because you're saying watching back the film and it's, it's actually tough sometimes to watch back you know and I think the Green Bay game was the first time, and I talked about was with andre Locker last week. But that was the first time in a long time I've watched the All Twenty Two. My opinion didn't change of the game.
0: Um, yeah, yeah, that's a good point because I've kind of, be- of the same way too watching it. Where like even watching the broadcast and the condensed version, because I'll usually watch the condensed version um after the broadcast before you know we record our stuff, so I have better idea of it, and then watch the film whenever it comes out. And you're like, yeah, I mean, they lost this game because they played a lot of cover three because they. Ha- so then get eight guys from the box to stop the run. Um, they got pulled up, uh, pulled by play action passes, which created the entire middle of the field for their routes off play action. And then they put their cornerbacks in really bad spots in Devontae Adams. And they got their teeth kicked in because of that. And that's why they lost that game. And like watching it live, you know, the watching the all 22 to watching it live it allowed you to see kind of like where the safeties and stuff were located, how these throws got opened a little bit better. But like at the end of the day, you're just kind of like, yeah, this is why they lost. And, uh, it's pretty clear. And then, you know, watching all 22 just kind of, you know, put twist the knife a little bit further, you know, play after play.
1: Yeah, I think so. And it's, it's, it, it seems like it's all kind of falling down because it was, at, I think it was almost a year to the week now that the Texans played in London. And that was probably their best performance of that season in terms of, you know, complementary football, both sides of the ball looked like they dominated. The opposition you know and it was quite a, you know it took them a three quarters to probably assert the dominance you know via the scoreboard but you know when you look back on the performances last year apart from you know kansas city and atlanta in terms of like explosive point scoring um but that that was a game that you know going into that i think it was i think we were five and two at that point mm-hmm. and you know if you'd have told me next year going into the bye you'd be you know the the world or the word rebuild would be thrown about I probably wouldn't have believed you at that point now as you said all the decisions off the field have contributed to that more on the field and as you said you know you take a guy okay, like Julie Ladai, you had a good game that day you know and then you've got Eric Murray you know at seven times the cost mm-hmm. is is the reason why you're in this mess but it, it it feels yeah it feels like it's all a lot's changed on the field but I think everybody kind of knew it right and I think that's the bit I feel most foolish about times because and I, I know you probably feel the same you know it's it's easy just to be negative and say the team's got worse and they're not good and it was obvious it was going downhill and you know you try to be balanced and give a you know a proportionate view of you know of what the you know what the, the variables on on either side of the ball or or in the special teams might be and how, you know how, what, how the team might be positioned but it feels like now, just looking back on it, I think all the fears that everybody had, they were all in there. They were all in the articles. I think they've just been magnified mm-hmm. in a way that's just, you know, that, that's, that's you know probably amplified so many personnel issues and they've just built and built and built um, up to the point where this team has been, you know, a sorry state, I think, in some senses for the first half of the season, which hasn't been probably since 2013. And that 2013 team was far more talented than this one. It just imploded so that I think the difference between that and now, um, or the you know our 2017, I suppose you could say, but that was the probably momentum shift in terms of Watson's injury. But I think what's what's probably a bigger challenge for everybody now, and in the, in the, in the next thing coming front office and and coaching staff is they're gonna have to dig deep and, and be creative and find a lot of new guys to, to to do you know to play roles on this team to make it competitive and. It's not going to be easy, I think, you know, and a lot's changed in a year f- far more than it should ever have been allowed to, you know, and I think that comes back to to uh, Cal or or, or Kyle as, mm-hmm. uh, as DeAndre Hopkins referred to it. I, I just think when you think about how much has happened in a year, it almost seems unbelievable in a sense.
0: Yeah, well, and I, I think kind of like it all comes down to, you know, last year, a lot of things that, you know, like a lot of the bad signs, a lot of problems this team had, like they were there last year. Like if you just look at the past defense, it was there last year. It was there in 2018. It was there in 2017. Um, like, the pass defense and the the secondary talent has been an issue since that 17-year, and they didn't do anything to address it. They added Bradley Roby and Gibson. They drafted Lion Johnson Jr., and they you know traded for Conley, but, like, only one of those players was a really plus player in Roby. Ra- Roby's not, like, a, a lockdown number one cornerback. Like, if he's the best cornerback on your team, you have a bad pass defense, and Gibson was good in his role, but Gibson's, you know, a confident starter. Like they didn't have the influx of talent that they needed, and like, that's just one example of many where you know they kept they kept getting by and getting by because of the talent they had in this team that they you know that was pillaged from the roster because they didn't get the same value that it was worth. And they also have the players on the team right now that fit the mold of culture that they wanted or whatever. And they've gotten worse and they've just gotten older as well too. And then the young players they've drafted, they haven't developed it all into anything. And so they have, like, the same kind of core group, but it's just an older roster that isn't as good because of it. And really the only thing that's really covered this up at all, though, was their ability to win close games. They won close games in 18. Um, They won close games last year. Last year they were 9-3 in one-score games. And this year they're 0-3 in the same games. And so, like, really that's the difference between the 19 team and the 20 team at the end of the day. It's just they've lost the close games this year that they won last year. And, again, like, it doesn't matter who your quarterback is. It doesn't matter who your head coach is. Typically, those are 50-50 games over the course of, you know, a season or, or you know, over the course of every team playing any game. Like those one-score games are usually toss-up games, and Houston played a lot of them last year. They're fortunate to win nine of them. They made the playoffs because they won nine of them. But this wasn't a roster that could just walk in and be good. Again, in 2020, it was a roster that needed to improve, and they got actually worse this offseason with the moves they made, and that's why this team has fallen apart um, this year. So it's like it's those things where it's easy. Like, I feel like I'm usually two years ahead of time or a year ahead of time with the predictions that I make on my end. And uh, like, all this stuff is kind of, it's been there the entire time. It's just like the results have actually matched kind of the poor decision-making and kind of the, the performance stuff that they have. Um, and like the fact they haven't performed like a great team, even if they've had kind of a record that's kind of shown that before.
1: Yeah, and I remember you and I talked in the off-season, right? We are talking about defensive free agent uh acquisitions you were talking about armstead and you know we'd mentioned a couple of guys and it just it seemed you know and i think correct me if you disagree Matt, right but i think on defense you can get away with if you've got some decent pass rushers and some decent corners you can kind of work around it as long as you've got some kind of steady pros just like on offense you can get if you've got a quarterback at least one, you know, upper end solid tackle and, you know, some skill positions that are, you know, are productive, savvy veterans, you know, with a mix of skill sets, you can get by and be, you know, be a a productive offence. And at what point, you know, after watching the pass rush get worse and worse and worse towards the end of last year, to not address that in the off-season, I think it was just, you know, I think that was probably something that maybe didn't get enough run um, in the media because I remember I remember the press conference so distinctly because I remember watching at the time and I think it was Brandon Scott um, asked a question saying, do you think you've addressed all your defensive needs and I remember watching O'Brien's <laughs> answer to that and thinking you've not even convinced yourself when you've answered that question at the media far <laughs> less anybody else, you know, just the way he answered it um, and one of his answers was we think we've got or one of his points to his answer was, "We think we've got a lot of flexibility at linebacker, and linebacker is probably arguably the worst spot on this roster at the minute."
0: Yeah, uh, bias distance. Yeah, and it's kind of like you can. I don't, I mean, it's. I guess you could make the argument. I do think you know, training with Hopkins for Johnson and Cooks and a pig swap to take Ross Blacklock was you know very unbelievably stupid at the time, and it still is. And the team is you know one in six probably because of that trade. But also, like I, I think it's it's almost as absurd that the fact that they had this bad pass defense for two years in a row, and all they added to it this offseason season was Eric Murray, you know, and like they they had cap space, they could have made some more moves, they could have done some things to improve this pass defense, and all they added to it was Eric Murray from you know 2019 2020, and yeah, you know, they drafted Greenard and and John Reed and Blacklock, but those guys haven't played much or contributed much, and like, that was what they did this offseason. season. They added. Extra receivers. They continue to invest in the offense, and uh, and they added Eric Murray. And like that's why they have a bottom five pass, a bottom five defense again this year. It's because of that decision alone. And it's not only adding Eric Murray. It's like this idea that that's what we're missing to this bad defense, and the opportunity cost involved with that, and the fact that you pay Eric Murray probably like seven times more than what any other team would pay him as well too, and completely missing out on what you know his market is, and the fact that you can find third safeties. Um, like like you mentioned with the die for you know one point two five million dollars, and that whole aspect of it like is it's like there's so many things in this past offseason that I can't get over and and don't make any sense to me, and uh, that's just one of you know a, a dozen things, but it's probably it's almost as important as the decision they made you know, regarding Hopkins for you know just this year alone, not for the future, but for you know one of the reasons why they're so bad this year.
1: Yeah, and. I, I struggle with as well, like the, the corner spot. And we've, we've struggled to fill that spot for a number of years. And and I, I, I've heard you talk about this, and I'm, I, I am with you on this but I've never really been sold on Gary and Connolly. And the fact that we gave that third round pick away when we could have invested that in the team for a guy, you know, he could have made do for the rest of last season. It wasn't difference between... You know, as going for a Super Bowl and not when you and especially when you see this, you know, this week, and we'll come on to some of the trades in a second, but mm-hmm. when uh when the when the Tennessee Titans pick up um King from the Chargers for I think with a fifth. Yeah, so I think you know, for King. A, sec, a six a was it, yeah. Yeah. Um so you know, that just you know magnifies that investment. Now he's not played this season, and I've heard people say, Well, you know, if you if you, if you had him, you know, Conley, that would be your top two corners. But even if that, and even if they hadn't, you know, having this Lorne Johnson experiment, which you touched on earlier, which is just, just beggar's belief why you're doing this to a young guy at an age who's not played a lot of football, you know, as a duco transfer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, at Kentucky, you know, it was his only year of college ball. Um, if, you know, even if all those guys had worked out, you still had to sign a corner. And you know, and you and you saw some of the coaches or the position coaches interviews, and I put that on the schedule because I think it's you don't get to hear from them a lot, and you do get an insight into the building. Um, And you know, I I thought DeAnton Lynn to defend Vernon Hargreaves this year, I thought was, I know he's what he's trying to do, and he's he's thinking we've got to have this guy on the field for the majority of snaps Mm -hmm. for the rest of the season. So I don't want to discourage him, but you know. I don't blame Vernon Hargreaves because he shouldn't be there. You know, he was a waiver pickup last year for the Bucks, a failed first round pick. Um, you know, and then and then taking snaps away, you know, or putting him on the outside, which is fine, and putting Laurie Johnson at safety, which I don't understand why you play him as a single high when you know he's a big frame guy. The whole point was he's got the body of a safety. So for me he should be playing in the box, um, or at least, you know, closer to the line of scrimmage than they basically told them to go and stand, stand mm-hmm. by, stand, yeah, right, stand in yeah. line with the goal. Yeah, go and stand in line with the goalposts mm-hmm. and uh, see if it comes your way. It's basically what it looks like at times. Um So, like, you, there was just so many obvious things on this defense, and I think you know the point is you, we they're still to be addressed. And the salary cap, you know, thing. I think mean, you can't get the dollars back. You can always get draft picks back, but you can't get the dollars you spend on players' salaries. You know, you can, uh, you can once you spend it, it's gone. But I think that. It was interesting this week because everybody's talked about picks and you need to get picks, and you know we're only a twenty twenty two seventh round or better off. But were you surprised at the the lack of activity? I mean, it was league wide, um, but it just felt like the Texans' valuation of what they thought they should get in, in return uh, was not what you know the market or the league was willing to pay.
0: Yeah, I thought they would do something. You know, at least make one trade, whether it was train Kenny Stills for like a six-round pick or something, but um, after I spoke to Rivers last week and read that quote from Kyle McNair this week where he was talking about how, like, well, we still have a lot to play for. We're one and six. There's there's seven wild-card spots. You know, it's a bummer. You have to go on the road whenever if you make the playoffs, uh, but that's what we're facing right now, which is insane um, to come out and say. And I think they're, they, don't, they didn't want to strip it all this year because they wanted to keep playing for this year and not kind of give up on the season. And I also think that Callum McNair feels like this is a Super Bowl sort of team um, with the players he has in place, which it isn't, you know, he's living with his own, with his own, with his own set that he's created. Like you mentioned earlier, like this isn't the same thing as 2013 where the Texans had a lot of bad luck. They lost their close games. They had bad injury luck. They had bad turnover differential and their quarterback fell apart and their backup was, you know, uh case Keenum that year because they, for whatever reason, they never drafted any quarterbacks. Uh, as shop kind of got older and there was kind of some signs that there's some wear and tear in his body and they never had like a backup plan for him at all. And like, this isn't that same sort of team here at all. This is a team with the bloated roster. It's missing a first and second round pick next year. That's an expensive roster. That's facing That's going to be over the cap next year. That has a bad defense, both against the run in the past. That has an offensive line. That needs to be coached up better and a really expensive skill position group. That's going to have to be reconfigured some next year, just because of salary cap problems. Like you can't pay Brand cooks, 12 million and, Will for $13 million on franchise tag and David Johnson, you know, $10 million and Randall Cobb, you know, a seven and a half million dollars. So you can't, you can't do that with the other holes in this roster too. And so I do think they, I, I'm not surprised they didn't make as many move, They didn't make any moves uh, or they didn't make a bunch of moves. I'm surprised they didn't make a singular move. And I try still to think it was something that was pretty simple because he's a free agent next year. But uh, I think they do miss They did miss a big opportunity to at least like, you know, recoup some pick volume for next year. And hopefully this isn't a case where they kind of keep the same same team next year and slightly reconfigure it. Hopefully they actually, you know, they cut some weight, get some draft picks, get some pick falling back next off season, uh, whenever that arrives. And they're just trying to push these decisions over to whoever's going to be the next general manager and didn't want Jackie to come in and, you know, trade guys like you make a trade, like, you know, Brand Cooks for, you know, seventh round pick or something like that. And so hold off and wait until next off season and allow the actual decision maker for, The future Texans teams to make those decisions. But, um, you know, that being said, like, again, this is a roster that needs to be substantially changed, that needs to add talent, that needs to add draft picks, that is paying a lot of players a lot more than they're worth. And so, next offseason, they should be looking to, you know, make trades and trade some of these guys and try to get some picks back, even if it is a fifth round pick or a sixth round pick, Uh, because those are lottery tickets, those are free agents, those are special teams players that you don't have to pay. 2.5 2.5 million dollars that you can pay you know 300,000 dollars and it makes a big difference over the course of you know a 53-man roster
1: yeah and my, my mind just that just come back to something that but I see my mind cast back I don't know if you remember the game Matt 2013 uh, against Seattle mm-hmm. um, do you remember that game and you know Aaron Foster said at the end of the game that I don't know why we ran it and then uh, sharp through the picks. I think it was Richard Sherman yeah, who scored it, and, and that was against the that was against the eventual winners, right? And but the, I think in the big difference, and I think when you look back on that, is I'm sure it was Garrett Graham scored the first touchdown in that game, and there were signs kind of similar to this season in some ways, but I think the biggest difference is there was signs that the you know the defense was there, but the offense was floundering. So it's almost kind of switched on its head. But I remember the, the Texans walking off the field that day against a team they should have beat. Uh, they should have won that game, and just kind of a, a, a sentiment of being floored. Now, obviously, you had the Kubiak you know, mini stroke on the field. and I remember watching that live, and it was just quite a strange, you know, sort of downfall of circumstances. But the difference then, I think, from that there is it's just that like there was a team that knew they hadn't played well, whereas there's almost an acceptance of some of these guys that we've got that it is what it is and I think that's that's kind of crept in a bit so I think that if, if there's anything that's going to change in the last eight you know nine games then hopefully it's that because it feels like there's some players you know you know pretty pissed when they come off and you know what's you know talked about being angry and stuff this week about you know the, the decisions you know the, the decisions have been made and you know not winning and all that kind of thing stuff and I get why that's happened but I think there was a big difference there because that felt like a team that wanted to win and felt like they should win versus a team that's kind of, you know, if you look at the for the large part of the first start of the season, they have kind of, you know, laid down at their opposition mm-hmm. in many senses.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And I think it was kind of the worst thing about the first, you know, two weeks of the year, though, It wasn't just the fact that they lost Kansas City and Pittsburgh and fell or Kansas City and Baltimore and fell to 0 but it was just like how empty and listless they looked and how unprepared they looked and how, um, you know, how poor and like boring they played, you know. There was no chance they had either one of those games. Really, I know. Like, yeah, they had that, that, uh, that they kicked that field goal and they gave the fourth and two rushing touchdown, put away the Baltimore game. But Baltimore was better than them. You know, Houston's offense really struggled the entirety of that one. Um, that game wasn't really as close as the foul score kind of indicated. You know, and so like without like you know going four for the rest of this year, uh, this year should it's still gonna like just because of the fact of how this offense is operating, where they're going a lot more spread, a lot more empty they're a more enjoyable team to watch and they're a lot more interesting to watch for that reason alone. But like the second part of it and like, you know, the other thing I was kind of looking forward to is some of these trades by getting rid of, you know, maybe potentially, um, you know, Johnson or releasing him or even releasing merciless or, you know, trading brand cooks, you know, for something. It just, it opens the door for other players or training, you know, Randall Cobb for something. It just opens the door for these younger players. And so far, you know, the coaches haven't played these guys. Like we, we, I saw Jonathan Greenard uh, knock out a fullback on a split zone play. Only time I've seen him. Ross Blacklock's been out there a little bit. He's re- really struggled against the run, but he hasn't had very many like one-versus-one pass rush reps. We haven't seen John Reed since Lion Johnson Jr.'s your first half suspension against Kansas City. Um, Jacob Martin hasn't really played like a pure edge defender spot. Instead, he just kind of comes in and stands over the interior and drops back in coverage most of the time and gives off this illusion that he may rush, even though he doesn't rush most of the time. And whenever he rushes, he's like going up against a guard who just strangles him at the line of scrimmage. You know, they haven't played Lion Johnson Jr. outside corner very much. Um, You know, Calamente's still out there. You know, I know Sharping didn't get strong enough to play guard this offseason, but at least to like get him there and give him some reps or put him like, you know, put him like or lock him up and give him the weight room every week. No, even suit him up at all if that's the case, you know. And then, uh, and there, you know, I still want to see Cutie. I know, Collie Warren just came off the IR today and is practicing. Like get these younger yeah, guys. Everyone, everyone's favorite
1: Kahali wearing that guy. Yeah. I
0: love, I love Kahali just because his, his college video is really great. And there really hasn't been a good reason all for why he was on IR, why he hasn't played yet at all. And like, he's a really great athlete and just like somebody can stretch the seam is something that the Texans haven't had. until so they start using Jordan Aikens in that um, aspect this season. But those are like 11 things right there. Like these are things that even if one of these things comes to fruition or three of these things come to fruition, um, that's something that you can build on for this next team because this current team is bad. This current team is one and six. This current team isn't making the playoffs. There's nothing really to play for, play for it all, except for giving these like developmental opportunities, like live reps in these games and these situations for you know next year and years to come. And so just by how much they're still playing these veteran players um, has probably been like the most frustrating thing about this team now that they've kind of settled into this like you know post uh, lost season kind of funk, you know.
1: Yeah, you yeah, you think I remember? You know, I'm still learning about the game. It's not a game that I played as a kid, but you know, I remember reading the line that stuck with me. and you say, yeah, "A tight end, a fast tight end up the seams is a is a dart in the heart of a cover of, of a cover two shell." You know, mm-hmm. so I think you can, you know, that it just gives you options to to attack, to you know, to attack. And if if, if Waring can, you know, make, you know, you know, twenty catches, you know, because you think, like for example, a guy like Kenny Stills. You know, he's on a good salary this year. They didn't, you know, they didn't extend or, you know, renegotiate that at all. You know, there was a lot of players they could have, they could have, and probably without the crystals in the building, it's probably not as easy as it probably would have been otherwise. But, you know, he's, he's not really played in the rotation. He's not really got on the field much. So, you know, you're paying guys like that, you know, and plus Johnson. You know, that's probably you know the best part of, you know, $15, $16 million this year that's not really giving you any production. Um and and there's, yeah, and there's guys sitting there on rookie deals who you've just not given snaps to. So, yeah, I think you know I think everybody that covers this team is you know or watches this team is in agreement and they want to see that in the in the second half of the season. I thought what was interesting as well that I mean when they talked about you know that was the, the well the rumor that Aaron Wilson put out there I think this week that that the uh, the, the, the Seahawks you know came back in for Jacob Martin and asked him mm-hmm. you know yeah, what the price hilarious. would be. Yeah, which is a strange one, isn't it, right? But you know, could we not have said like, you know, we'll give you a fifth round pick and you give us back a twenty twenty uh, seventh uh if you take Merciless. You still got a bit left in the tank, you know, when you go to I mean, 'cause there was the his name was, you know, accounted for there. And I think that's probably the strangest bit of somebody like Stills who's not played. Merciless. If anybody was looking for a pass rusher, could we have just given them, you know, at their asking price, just to get the dollars off the books yeah. and try and, you know, give the give the ledger a bit a bit more of a cleaner look as we go into next year? But it just seemed like we didn't want to do that. But I think it's you know we like our guys, you know, and we've had how many times have we heard that over mm-hmm. the years when some of these guys have been good enough, you know, the smart, tough, the tough, dependable stuff that's probably going to haunt us for <laughs> probably into 2023 but yeah it felt like a, maybe an opportunity missed in some instances you know because Darren Fells was a name that was mentioned in there as well you know per, perfect, guy trade. Round pick. Yeah, perfect yeah perfect guy
0: trade if you can get a six-round yeah. pick on you good perfect trade
1: yeah you know or you know or any of these guys you know because you know when you see some I mean there wasn't many because people weren't interested I don't think and I don't think people want to spend money in the guys that were traders so Carlos Dunlap got his Got his contract renegotiated um, to, to lower his cap hit this year for Seattle. And obviously, teams are concerned about you know money. You see that with the Astros and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know they're trying to you know reduce their outlay just because their, their income isn't what it was. But yeah, it seemed like an opportunity miss. Maybe just to even make some small moves. I mean, yeah, okay, flipping a guy who was a waiver claim for a seventh in a year in, in a year's time is is okay. But you know, it feels like there could have been more done there. But that's what happens. I think when you've not got the right people uh, in the back, in in the house. But what what did you think of, we sort of touched on it there, Matt, what did you think of Cal McNair's sort of comment? I know he, he only ever gets interviewed by Mark Vandermeer on Radio 610, which I think is a weakness in itself, um, you know, or dis, displaying a weakness, you know, and he, he's not the most, he's not the most rousing in terms of his tone, in terms of him as a leader now. Look, it's his money that has the team here, not his leadership of it. He's mm-hmm. going to pay other people to do that. But what did you think of his comments around the committee, and, uh, and, you know, and, and obviously Jack used to be not being involved, which I think was a positive.
0: Yeah. I mean, for, for Kyle, it's kind of like, even, even ever, you know, um, whenever Cal was still alive and everything, like even whenever he spoke, it was it kind of like, I don't know, you don't want your owner giving a bunch of interviews at all. You know, I don't know why the Texans have continued to give their owners like you know, a bunch of interviews and putting them in the spotlight as much as they do. And maybe it's just because we're a lot closer to the source and, You know, I'm not sure what, you know, what San Francisco does for their interviews or whatever, if they're their owners out there, for example. But like even with ever with with Cal when Cal was alive, like a good example is in 16 after Brock Osweiler played Aaron Rodgers in the snow and like had like 3.2 or like 3.7 yards in attempt. And he said like, well, I feel like, you know, Brock played almost as well as Aaron did that game. And we really like what we have at him at quarterback. And it's like we're we're not idiots. Like we're watching the games. Like you don't need to say these things and lie and like say these lies or whatever. But, and it was kind of similar to Bill O'Brien too. Like he would come out and flat out lie to the media by saying like the, the DeAndre Hopkins trade he felt like makes Houston a better football team. Whenever it's like you can watch the video, you can look at things. It doesn't it doesn't make them a better football team. It was a trade made because of some sort of like you know interpersonal uh, dispute that they had going on, and they botched everything else from there. And so like with Kyle, like every single time he talks, you know, like he's not a, he's not like a, a football genius at all. He was born to a situation where he he gets to be the guy who runs the team, that sort of thing. And everything he talks about, he just shouldn't, he shouldn't really talk about at all. And like you mentioned about like, well, Easterby's handling the football side and it's good that they're probably not making trades because of that. And, uh, and how they're trying to operate with, you know, finding a new GM and finding a new head coach, like that's fine information to spread out there, but really at the end of the day, like, it doesn't really matter at all. Um, and the second thing to it, again, it's just kind of going back to this idea that, you know, he likes the team, he likes the players they have. I think he really does believe that this is a team where they're going to be good going into, you know, next year if they just get a different head coach. And I can't, like, stress this enough. Like, this team needs to add talent. This team needs to add cost-effective talent. You know, they're going to be paying Watson and Tunsil, like, $65 million combined in 2022. You know, they need to add uh, smaller contracts and and find bargain bin, bin sort of players and you know kind of my biggest fear about next year, regardless of whoever they find a head coach, is just operate underneath this like this force requirement, this prerequisite that well you have to keep Cobb, you have to keep Cooks, you have to keep these guys, you know just deal with the salary cap from there. You can cut David Johnson and figure this portion of it out because uh, we should be competing whenever it's Deshaun Watson. That's it, and that's far from the truth, you know.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's 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 a difficult one, isn't it? Because you want to, you know. I think when you hear him talk about a search firm and everything is, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. But um, you know, I know Corn Ferry's got a reasonable track record in there, and I know he's, you know, he was he was very keen to point out, you know, Jed Hughes only works for one team at a time, and you know we're going to have a committee of you know ex players. I am assuming that will be probably Andrew Johnson or you know I don't know maybe. I don't know, I think Jonathan Joseph's been cut by the Titans. He's probably a good guy that's been around the game for a while. But, you know, I think it feels like he's, you know, he's kind of saying, look, I, I'm not going to make this decision. I'm going to get consensus from a group of people that I trust their opinion, which is the right way to do it. Um, but I, uh, he's he's got a chance to, to undo the last 18 months that he's, you know, lit, you know, a team that weren't too far away unravel um and whether he'll take that chance or not i just when i listen to him speak i just don't have confidence in him
0: mm-hmm.
1: um that he's going to do that um and i you just never know who's who's in the who's in his ear or you know who takes the most prevalence in the conversations and you know and I, I mean i'm sure it'll be a, a six-figure sum that they're paying in a corn ferry so they'll yeah, value yeah. that probably over any ex-player um, or any any Watson input. You know, I know he's asking for B enemy and things like that. Have you got any preference? Matt, I've asked everybody this so far. Um, any preference for GM or head coach?
0: Uh GM I don't have anybody. It's one of those things yeah. where I don't know. Like, you know, they I don't know yeah. why it gets to say who's a good GM candidate and who isn't. You know, you see John Lynch just kind of come out of nowhere being an ex-player and run the four ers yeah. And you know, he's done a good job um there by building it by like rebuilding them, you know, really quickly in a span of, you know, a season or two and making really aggressive decisions and working really well with Kyle Shanahan. But it, I think it's just one of those things where, like, you want to make sure that you hire them together at the same time. You hire them with some sort of relationship established where, you know, they, they know how to work with one another and it's going to become a partnership. Where, of course, like, the general manager still has, you know, full say over the roster and full control and keeps that sort of long-term planning. Um, but I think they just need to be kind of done together. But I don't really have any anything at all for the GM for the head coach position for me, I don't like the idea of a defensive coach because again, like defense is all about talent. You know, it's pretty easy to build a good defense if you have talent. I think Robert Salah is a really good example of that wherein, you know, last year they had a pass rush that went six deep. They had, you know, three really great coverage linebackers. Um, They had a ball control, you run heavy offense. And this year they just have had a bunch of injuries and they don't have the same defensive performance, but they're running the same scheme. They're not doing anything really all that differently at all and they're not having the same results and like Salah is a good coach but he's not doing something that nobody has ever seen before he hasn't created some uh, some insane scheme that completely takes away you know, every route combination possible it's like no i mean they have uh, last year you know they had Nick Bosa they had Armstead, they had Buckner they had Ford and, you know they had the ability to you know, rush the pass for a four and play cover 3 behind it and they, they were a really good defense because of that. It wasn't because of something that Salah just kind of discovered out of nowhere. And so, you know, because of the way the defense side of the ball works, I really don't want to see a defensive head coach. But um, as far as, like, the offensive side ball, like, the is probably the number one guy just because of Kansas City and his background and the fact that he's coached for a while. But I'm, I'm like, good with, like, you know, anybody in that way. Like, I like Arthur Smithdale Tennessee. It's just kind of like a personality thing with him. But he's coached for – you know, four different offensive coaches. He's been there forever. He knows how not to do things. He's kind of taken a little bit of what Ken Wisenhut taught him to what Mike Malarkey taught him to Matt LaFleur taught him to be able to build this offense that he's had in Tennessee. I like Brian Dable in Buffalo. Um, I like him more than Greg Roman, I think, but Dable's done a really great job of building an offense to Josh Allen Strings, getting the most of him as a quick passer, using him in the run game, and then also being able to build a, a really good offense around, you know, four different receivers which is kind of what Houston has right now as well, too. And I like Roman in Baltimore. The one thing about Roman, though, is his offense is kind of stagnate after a few years once teams kind of catch on what he's doing in the run game. And, you know, he hasn't had the quarterback who's been able to just be like a, who's, who will be like a, a really great, you know, pocket passer. Like Jackson struggles throwing the sidelines. Teams have really have really kind of hunkered down on that and have really kind of uh, devoured the middle of the field, which has affected, you know, Lamar's this year, this year. Compared to previous years, their run offense has fallen uh, a little bit this season as teams have kind of caught on to them, too, in that regard. But the same thing happened to him in Buffalo with Tyrod Taylor. The same thing happened to him in San Francisco with uh, with Kaepernick and Hawksmith as well, too, that, like, after a few years, his offense has kind of grown stagnant. And also, I, I like the idea of Watson being used more as a runner, but you don't want to give him, you know, 8 to eight to 12 carries a game at all in that regard. you rather have him operating from the pocket and throwing the ball downfield and have him being like an accessory in the run game off enough to keep defenses watching for it, not like a, a focal part a point of it there. So those are my four favorite. Um, I like Joe Brady too, but he's still kind of young, and I like to see him stay in Carolina uh, just because I like the Panthers. I kind of see Smith stay in Tennessee too because I think he's been really perfect there. But uh, but those are those are my four favorite guys. I think Brady's kind of that wild card. But I really couldn't see Houston signing somebody who is only 30 years old kind of the big concern though about with McNair and using the search firm and using this big like group of circle of people is that these search firms usually bring back like a retread group of the same eight candidates that have already have coached before that were that had mediocre success that never really broke through and you're going to see a bunch of names that you've already heard before um, for those interview lists. So I'm hoping that that won't be the case and they kind of think outside the box and they give somebody a chance to be a head coach who's never been head coach before instead of kind of digging up some sort of retread and, you know, been in a situation that Dallas is having Mike McCarthy. And that's my biggest fear about next year is Houston getting somebody like McCarthy or like a Marvin Lewis type or just somebody who's been okay enough, you know, for eight years or whatever. And they're just trying to find stability in the position again, instead of taking a shot on something where you could actually have like a really great offense and a really great team because of that.
1: For me, I think when you look at Vrabel, and you look at, I mean, Lafleur to a degree, and I think, whether it's offensive, defensive, I think people kind of get caught up in that, right? But I think that what we need to find is the, the best leader and then the best leader gets in the best coordinators they possibly can and you build from there. And I don't know, I think it's coming. I mean, Vrabel was a terrible defensive coordinator the one year he had it. And the, like, there was a lot of injuries, but there needs to be you know, the best leader we can find to mould a culture and a, a franchise you know, way of playing football that we can take forward with Watson and I, I know Watson said you know he wants to be enemy but yeah I I am open to that I think in trying to find the GM is so difficult right because it's just unless you're in football you know or around that it's uh, it's so hard to piece those piece those trees together and I think Sal is a good good yeah good option but yeah like you said you get injuries defense it's uh defense yeah it's about stacking talent and being organized and you know, in some simple formations isn't it so it's uh yeah i think yeah possibly we'll go offensive offensive i i, I have a theory that we will probably do the same as we did before because i think you know all these consulting companies whatever field they're in they have a set of beliefs and they just recommend them to everybody so i think corn mm-hmm. ferry you know recommended take a take a guy from college who's got the who's got head coaching experience and uh, yeah
0: well and, I think and, that, and like even, even you mentioned you know solid, but like even like I uh, just coming back to that defensive side thing because I, I, know, there's something I feel really strongly about you know about the idea of finding an offensive you know, centric head coach. But like even if you look at top Bowles in Tampa, like that that team there has a pass rush that's eight deep. They have the two best. They have the best inside linebacker combination. Yeah, Devin White's been the best inside linebacker in football this year. They have a secondary of like six guys who all run like four three forties. They're all incredibly fast. That can run with any sort of receiver out there and like they only have to cover for, you know, two and a half seconds a lot of time and they are able to take risks and take chances because of how quickly they can recover and like Todd Bowles like came into a defense that's been slowly building up to this point over the last three years, you know, and he just used a a very aggressive blitz scheme to be able to get the most out of it. But it's not like Bowles has taken something um, that's never been seen before and is taking, a bad defense and making it into the best defense in football this year. He's taking a really talented group of players and, and getting, you know, a lot out of it, you know, and it's kind of similar with Pittsburgh as well too this year in Baltimore, usually where like it's easy to coach kind of defenses that are set up like this. And so again, like, that's why I'm not, uh, I'm not big on the defense side of the ball. It should all be, it should all be about getting an offensive coach, providing stability around Watson, providing um, a foundation that you can build a really great offense out of and running like a, an actual postmodern offense that is based around the passing game and spreading the ball out and finding matchups and um and attacking you know attacking bad cornerbacks and getting your guys in space instead of being what this Texans offense is built around in the last three seasons, which was ball control and keeping a bad defense off the field.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's I, I yeah I mean there's so much time and there's so much can change. I think, but yeah, I think the the. the the challenge with going through or go or siding with a hot coordinator uh, or a fashionable coordinator is, is, is one that, you know, that can, can change, you know, you, you think how many guys have come in been, you know, run, run a good offense, you, go, you know, like you're saying, you know, like Todd Bowles or whatever, you know, like, you know, you and I could probably co- co- coordinate that, you know, that, that, that defense because it's just got so much talent and speed at all three levels. Um, And, you know, that doesn't take a huge amount of, you know, Organization and leadership to do that. Those guys are doing it the vast majority for that. Now, look at Byron which guy. I would be, you know, you know, in terms of the, on the other side of the ball at Tampa. You know, he's, he's studied under under uh, on, 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 on there for a while. So you think, you know, mm-hmm. is that that's something they, they can go with? But yeah, I think there's just it could go so many ways. And I think that the first the first kind of inclinations to look at the coordinators around the league. But I, I've, I've kind of thought that it'll be somebody from college. I think and no take that take that next step i think is 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 what what it's what it will be but you know i think in the same token though i don't i don't think this job is suited for a first time gm though and with a Mm. first time gm or a or a a veteran gm because you're gonna have to they're gonna have to be very economical with what the resources they've got um does a veteran gm will will they will they be willing to trust a first time head coach is i don't know a lot to play out between now and Probably January by the time we know who's going to take the reins.
0: Yeah, and that's a great point. I didn't think about that either. As far as uh, getting a drill manager who's had experience before, and that aspect of it, because again, like you don't have a first and second round pick, you're seven million dollars over the salary cap next year. Like they have to be creative in ways to you know, maneuver around that aspect of it um, as well. And so, and, and like again, like there, it's kind of like just find somebody in Kansas City or Baltimore. You know, like find one of those guys if you're going to make it a first time GM. Um, yeah. They've done a really good job, you know, building around Mahomes' rookie contract, and Baltimore consistently gets players for you know, far below their value, and uh, consistently like is able to draft defensive players later on the draft, and you know they've been so good scouting that aspect of the game too. So um, that's a great point that I didn't think about that.
1: Yeah, and I think you know you you know you look at guys and you know like, I don't know, I, I mean I'm not I'm not. My college knowledge is limited. I think in terms of in terms of the player, but I think you do, you don't want to go one of these big power programs, and you don't want to go, you know, because I think again that's an element of, you know, they get the best talent in the country because of the program and the and the and the and the uh, the logo and the helmet, and they've just got talent. So I think the same argument applies to you know to the defensive coordinators. You don't necessarily want somebody who's done well with a a power five, you know, a school program, you know, as an obvious candidate because. You know, it's it's the same rule applies. They've just gotten far more talent. You know, you know, you know, to be the wide receivers coach at Alabama or be the O line coach at Iowa or Wisconsin. You know, these guys have consistently high talent to work with. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it could go so many ways at the minute. I think you're right, and um, it will see. We'll see. We do have a game this weekend, though, against the first ever uh, start from Jake Luton or Luton. I'm not quite sure how you pronounce it from Oregon State. The same football powerhouse that brought us Tristan Deku, um from, mm-hmm. <laughs> in the fifth it's round. A, um, yeah. And uh what he's got he's got what, two thousand seven hundred yards, twenty eight touchdowns, and he's a final year for the Beavers. It, what, do you, I mean, surely Jacksonville can't strike even semi production out of a six round pick for another year in a row, you've got to think.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm glad they're going Luton or Luton. I'll probably call him Luton because it kind of looks like futon, and uh, I don't know how to say it either. But I'll know. On, we'll know on Sunday how you actually say it. Uh, I'm glad they're going going with him to of Mike Glennon. Like you know what Mike Glennon is, and so it's at least a little bit more interesting going with him. But yeah, I don't know anything at all about uh, Luton. I haven't watched him. I've never watched him play at all before, and I've been like every single time the NFL draft rolls around. You kinda of get inundated with opinions that you never came up with because you're just on the internet reading about football and you're constantly, you know, hearing these opinions on quarterback this and quarterback why. And you develop these opinions on before they play. And then you watch them finally play in the NFL. You're like, wait a second, Justin Herbert's actually a god, or you know, Josh Allen's the most fun quarterback I've ever watched. And you don't you you didn't know that at all or didn't think that because you were, you know, told um, you know, four months ago over and over again that Herbert's boom and bust and Allen should play tight end and and it kind of uh, you kind of get taken aback like once the season starts. So it's gonna be exciting to watch Luton because I know absolutely nothing about him. Like I don't even know anything at all for him from last year's draft um, about him as a player. But I do think they went with the right move, like seeing what they have in Samai could possibly be a backup for them in the future instead of going out there at Glennon because you know what he is—he's tall, he's slow, he tries to throw the ball downfield a lot, but he's not very good at it. And at least Luton provides like you know something of a uh, of an X factor, some sort of intrigue, you know.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly the attitude, you know, we're talking about. You want the Texans to take that, you know, give it, you know, I think Doug Marone talked about that this week. He says, like, I know what Mike Glennon is, <laughs> but I've not seen enough of of, of this guy. So, um, you know, you'll go in and, and see. I just, I, I, you just got to think, surely they can't strike some production out of a, a pick that late. I think, I mean, my brief knowledge of him reading them when he coming out of the draft was, you know, like any guy that goes late as a quarterback, you know, he's got a good arm. He needs a bit of polish but you know the ceiling is there like any guy if he can get it right you know mentally is the hardest business so um, mm-hmm. yeah I mean you've, you've got to hope that we can kind of piece together some some self-scouting and we'll, we'll move away from some of the defensive tendencies I think you know and I think when you think back at the first half of the season and you know what we can expect for the rest of the season you've got to hope that maybe Anthony Weaver I think he maybe read his own press clippings a little bit at the start I thought he did a good job sort of the first couple of weeks and then and, and then I think he overthought himself a lot of the time, um, you know, and I, I saw you tweet it out and I'm sure I did as well, but dropping Brandon Dunn back into coverage and, and, you know, and you've got guys in the wrong position up front and just being ineffective and trying to, you know, probably too cute with these coverages at times. So you want mm-hmm. him to probably get back to basics and just get guys to do simple things well. And then in the offense, it's probably the opposite, isn't it? You you probably want to try and be a bit more exotic and a bit more interesting because I think that the biggest probably flaw, the biggest frustration with the O'Brien scheme, and obviously, you know, Tim Kelly's just a straight offshoot of that. He's never really had any, you know, exposure to anything else. But I thought it was just, at times it it, it, be, it becomes quite predictable and it's the same plays, just out of slightly different formations, you know, similar concepts. It doesn't really stretch the boundaries of any creativity. And when they do, sprinkle a bit of creativity in. There's one or two plays a week, but it's really obvious, you know, and I think, you know, be less yeah. obvious, I think. And they seem to have a tendency, as he said, to go away the empty sets, but the twenty, the, the two back personnel sets as well, I think worked. And I know they moved away from that because Duke was injured and they just didn't fancy CG pro size to come in and fill that role, even if he was just a lead blocker or a decoy for, you know, the majority of it, but they've looked effective in that and they looked effective in the Packers game. So, you think you want to see more of that as well, and then just find things that work for you, and you know, and don't be too reliant on them. But but go to them when you need plays, and and uh, and I mean, I, I don't know. Do you think they can run the ball for the for the latter part of the year?
0: All right, well let's see here. Let's well for this game specifically, I don't know if Miles Jack is playing, but let's see if Miles Jack is playing, and uh, Miles Jack, Tyler Eifert, and Jared Wilson all turn the right direction for the Texans. So if Miles Jack doesn't play this week, they they could run for 200 yards against Jacksonville. You know that Bengals game, the Bengals with a bad uh, run-blocking attack all year was able to run for 200-plus yards against Jacksonville just by running off tackle because of how bad uh, Dakota Allen's run fits were and everything else they had going on there. And uh, But if Jack plays and, like, Schobert's healthy, like Jack's been phenomenal this year and he's been healthy. Now he's been back in his more... You know, uh, normal role as a as a weak side linebacker and stuff. How to play, you know, middle linebacker like he did last year. After everything kind of happened that happened over there with them that offseason. season, and so if Jack's out there, like they can give him some fits, and um, Houston may struggle to run the ball against him. And like it, he didn't play in their previous game, and it really kind of hurt them. And you know, Houston didn't run the ball that well against Jacksonville to the, the fourth quarter when they kind of like went all outside zone on them that last drive and kind of pad their rushing stats, but. That's really kind of comes down to that. If Jack plays, um, they'll probably struggle to run the ball a little bit. If he doesn't play, they have the chance to run for 200 yards because any team can run for 200 yards in the Jaguars and Miles Jack isn't out there.
1: Yeah. And it's frustrating at times when you see those late runs in games, I think for sure it was the one where uh, Titus basically drove the guy off the field and it uh-huh. was an outside zone run. And uh, why we waited till the fourth quarter to start <laughs> running those plays and the, um Dakota Allen, that, that was the same guy that was in last chance, you wasn't
0: it? I think Texas so. Tech. He, he yeah, has some pretty long was. hair. He has some snazzy yeah. hair. Uh, yeah. not very, not very good. And they have like their backups. You know, they have one of uh, they have Quincy Williams, which is Quinn Williams' brother. They trade Austin Calitra last year. I think Najee good plays for him still. Like they just like every backup linebacker they have in that roster is bad. And we kind of saw them all be bad last year. And like they gave a very average Joe Schobert. 10 million dollars a year this off season just so they could get jack back in that same role he was in the year before and just provide like some sort of mediocrity at the position and and it's worked out well when they've both been healthy but uh whenever one or the whenever one of them's not out there it's a absolute disaster at that position especially whenever jack is missing
1: yeah cause losing telvin smith has never really recovered from that i think he was the mm-hmm. he was ever you know he was the center point of that defense and it was a strange one. because he just kind of disappeared, didn't he? he? Just kind of said he retired and he had enough. <laughs> so yeah, that's a big loss. Out,
0: to yeah, he sat out that year, and then he got arrested this past year, I think. And um, I have no idea at all what happened with him. But there was never like anything that really kind of came out conclusively that um, kind of described that situation.
1: Yeah, they just had seemed to have so many volatile characters. I always remember the. Um, was it Fowler that went to the Rams and I think he's now uh, he's Atlanta. Lane, is he? now. Yeah. yeah. And um I always remember the story of him just getting out of his car uh, at a stoplight. And there must've been some sort of like incident before. And he just took, took the guy's uh, groceries out of his car and just started throwing them around the street. And, he, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you just, you know, and it's, it, it just felt like that was a time bomb going to explode. And they're a team that are in a true rebuild and, you know they might. You know they they're probably going to be in the run for, you know, a, a top one of these one or two guys. Probably not Lawrence because it looks like the Jets have just kind of seen. You know they're they're yeah. they're comf- they're comfortable with that notion now and they're just heading straight for that. And that'll probably be Trevor Lawrence. But is it Justin Fields is the next guy? Is it Trey Lance? I'm not sure who the next number two is or even potential, disputing number one at this stage. I've not really looked into it too much. Um, mm-hmm. But it feels like another game of Jacksonville. They're probably kind of happy to, to drop one, and we'll, you know, we'll we'll have a record whereby we've only managed to beat Jacksonville, but we don't play them again after this. So even if we do win, it's what do you think of the the remaining games in the schedule? Because we should be beating this Jacksonville team, regardless of coach firings or anything like that. Yeah. What do you think what, about you know up till Thanksgiving and then beat you know pre-Thanksgiving and post? What do you think the best you know yeah, route it's, route it's, for success?
0: It's funny for Houston because no matter how bad they are, they are usually able to beat the Jaguars. Like, it's just something that they've always been able to do. And like Bill O'Brien kind of made a career in a way for beating the Jacksonville Jaguars by um, padding his kind of his stats there for it. Um, for this game specifically, you know, real fast before I talk about the rest of the schedule, uh, you know, talking about the run game. I think one of the things that Tim Kelly's kind of struggled at or did a really good job at was just by kind of narrowing the run scheme down. So when they played Jacksonville that first matchup, they just pretty much ran, ran outside zone that game, and it worked really well because they kind of limited their offense to this one play instead of running 15 different run plays. They ran that one predominantly for it. And then last week in Screen Bay, they went back to doing a little bit of everything. They tried to run a lot of power. That didn't work. I mean, think they, they had concerns about you know, the edges of Green Bay's defense and being able to reach those edges on the outside zone. And, uh, I mean, the run game was bad, though, because of it. So hopefully against Jacksonville, kind of Tim Kelly reels in the run game some and just sticks with the outside zone for it. Um, and the other thing I want to say, too, like with this Jaguars team, I, I don't think Minshew's the reason why they're bad this year. I think Minshew's been perfectly acceptable. And whenever you pay a quarterback $600,000 like him, like if you get acceptable quarterback play, like you can build something there around him. And so I would guess like if Jacksonville loses big again this year, um, they'll probably take a quarterback early because you don't know when you'll get a chance to do that again. But like a big part of me kind of hopes and would like to see uh, Jacksonville, you'll know, build around Minshew's rookie contract for at least like one more year. Cause they, they have a ton of cap space next year and see what that team looks like before uh, going and getting a, a quarterback early. But I think whenever you pick like, you know, two or three, like they're potentially going to do so. You hopefully don't pick in that spot again anytime soon. And you kind of get the most out of it whenever you're up there and take a quarterback and uh, they probably will. But I like the, I, I like the idea and I would like to see what it looked like to actually build around Minshew. Even though they're probably not going to do that, though.
1: Yeah, because they've got the they've got that extra pick from the Ramsey trade, right, and their and their own, um, you know, to add a couple of players in like they did this year. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I think Minshew's one of these guys. I think he's, I don't think you would have heard about him as quite as much if he wasn't the kind of Gene short kind mm-hmm. of uh, archetypal kind of kind of football guy if, if he was because he's but the thing is his, his play at times has been good I think and it's uh, he's not necessarily got you know he's, he's got an average you know, decent line and you know, weapons there but um, yeah we'll see what you know Luton's got and uh, hopefully we're talking about a Texans win next week but um, Matt thanks very much for your time appreciate it and, uh, and uh, keep in touch when you have you on again soon
0: yeah, I would love to, and uh, you know, we have a even. I just want to say like, even though the Texans are kind of bad right now, even as a Texans fan, like it's still beautiful because Bill O'Brien's not here at all anymore. And with Watson, you know, every week is still a fun week of football because of that. And like I kind of mentioned earlier, like there's a lot of developmental things and kind of fun things to watch for this team and the game is going on. So although like the win and loss stuff doesn't matter, you know, we're Texans fans and we know a lot of bad seasons like this. Since kind of returning normal, seeing that facet of it. But uh, they'll be good again one day. One day soon, probably. Hopefully, as early as next year, and uh, and just enjoy this bad year while it while it goes on, because it's what makes Texans football Texans football. And you know, as long as Watson's here, that's the only thing that matters.
1: Yeah, no pressure. I think that says you're playing my house money, so you know, experiment, play the kids. You know, play the young, younger players in this roster, and let's see what they've got, and hopefully we'll get a win. But um, that was Matt Weston uh, from Battle Red Blog. Thank you very much for joining us.
0: Yeah, of course. And enjoy, enjoy the game on Sunday.